From Vistio, this is CXQA Live. A show where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and transforming customer support into a streamlined strategic advantage for your business. Hello and welcome to CXQA Live, the home of the agent-centric contact center philosophy. We talk every week about how agents with the right training tools and connection with your company are going to be a revenue growth and protection center for your business or brand. They're going to be the best diagnostic tool you have for your business. They're going to ensure that your customers are satisfied and connected. They're going to produce more and better work, and they're going to want to stay and contribute to the long-term success of your company. Today on the show, excited to have back with us for the multiplicities of times that we've had you, my friend, Jeremy. Jeremy Hyde, Director of Customer Service for Sun Country Airlines. Glad to have you back with us, my friend. Hey, yeah, it's a pleasure as always. Awesome, man. Well, you recently made a post that got my attention that I thought was really worthy of a little bit more unpacking. And it's centered around shifting mindset from victim to hero. So first of all, I'd just like to say, appreciate you showing up with a background that is on theme. That's just, you know, so Jeremy-esque, but also kick us off by just unpacking what you mean by shifting that mindset from victim to hero, man. Get us, get us going. Sure. Yeah. This background kind of wants me to go like, bam, plow, kapooey. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need like the bat phone to ring or something. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, recently I was thinking about something that a previous boss used to say from time to time. Um, and she always said, said it with kindness and, you know, challenging in a supportive way, but essentially saying like, don't be a victim. And if me or a colleague was kind of complaining about things or making excuses, oh, we didn't hit that metric for the month because marketing did this thing or because this happened or whatever, she would kind of call us out on like, hey, like, let's not be victims. You know, things are going to go wrong. In the contact center, like our jobs are to clean up messes and fix problems, right? Like when something unexpected happened, when a customer needs us, who are they going to call, right? Uh, and and so you can't always use these things as excuses to not meet your goals or to push priorities forward or just like, well, I hope it goes better next time. Um, so it's about kind of shifting so that you can be successful in spite of the things that are happening mm. around you. Um, it's the ability to adapt and respond to the things that are going to happen you know, all the crud rolls downhill. And like, frankly, if if we can kind of shift how we feel about that, then rather than us just being constantly upset, because you will, you're going to be constantly upset if you can't kind of turn your, your mind around on that. Instead, you can kind of say like, I'm the guy, I'm the girl, I'm the whatever, right? I'm the person that gets to help the organization get better be better for our customers, respond in the face of crisis. Um, I, I posted out, you know, an update on the series today and, and I posed a question in a similar vein to this. It's like, do you prefer working with someone who shifts blame or who takes responsibility? Do you like somebody that's really rigid and like as long as everything is precisely the way that they expect it to be, then they're good to go or somebody that's willing and able to adapt to change and just no matter 
what's going on, you can count on them. They are a calm in the storm and they help bring everyone forward. I think we all want to be that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we definitely want to work with and for that person too, you know? So before we get to more unpacking of that hero mindset and what that looks like and feels like and how to live in that, because I think that's where we're definitely headed today and, and where your series is headed and where, you know, we want to direct people in general in their lives and in the contact center, et cetera. But help me kind of unpack the dynamic of the other mindset, the one we want to leave behind, the victim mindset. You know, how can we recognize that we're in that mindset? What are some of the hallmarks and what are the, some of the negative implications of that victim mindset? Yeah, I mean, in a simple sense, I think if you're, if you're often talking about what someone else has done or some external factor and how that's made your job hard or it's caused you not to achieve goals like I was talking about, you know, that's one thing. It can show up in excuses, gossip, tense relationships with colleagues. If you're quick to make yourself the victim, hmm. if you're a victim, then somebody is victimizing you, right? And so if you think about these relationships and not only just with your direct team and with your direct department, but with the stakeholders and your partners across the organization, suddenly people are becoming enemies because you're a victim because of something that they've done to you. And so it, it's all of those sorts of things starting to recognize that it's just, it's not valuable. Putting time and mental energy into this sort of thinking it's not helping you. It's not helping your customers. It's not helping your team and your colleagues. Um, but we all do it. So it's just a matter of like, you know, sometimes we just need to vent. That's one thing, right? Like vent and get it out. But then we do have to move on. Um, and we can't just sit in despair for the rest of our careers and the rest of our lives. Um, I mean, we could, but I'd prefer not to. <laughs> yeah, I, I read something recently that was talking about what we pay attention to. In the world and in our lives has a large variable to do with what happens in our lives. And so if we're sitting with this idea that we don't have any control mm -hmm. for our future, and that's not to say that there aren't things that we need to accept. In fact, in order to have any control over anything, we have to accept what we can't control. Mm -hmm. And to be able to sort those bits out and to be able to say, look, I can't control the fact that marketing put out a promotion that doesn't work on the website. And now I have a thousand phone calls from very upset people who were promised a promotion that doesn't exist. Um, like you literally can't control whether or not that happens in the contact center. But what you can control is accepting, first of all, that that has happened. And then, hey, team, let's put our heads together. This is how we're going to respond. We're going to own this as far as the customer's concerned, this is the resolution. We're going to move forward together. So we're not going to sit there in that place of going, I cannot believe the marketing department did this to us again. Yep. Now, there might be a time where that meeting happens and you know, it should happen. But to sit there in that place of woe is me is to give way more energy to the pity party that nobody's coming to rather than to accept what you can't control and pay attention to what you can. So... Um, yeah, I think I think that's a really critical crossroads, I think, in situations for all of us, especially as leaders when you have a lot of people looking to you. Now, you mentioned in your 
uh, post, and we've kind of touched on it already, taking ownership of challenges. So we're getting into this hero mindset here. What does it really look like practically as a leader to take ownership over challenges? And then the, the follow-up piece to that, Jeremy, is how does accountability function within that? Yeah. So as a starting point, I would say, ideally, you have the processes and the plans in place that you kind of know when something happens, who has responsibility, who is going to take action, who's going to take leadership of certain aspects, but you can have a basic playbook on how you respond to things. And sure, the scenario might be a little bit different each time, but you don't want to be spinning it all up in the moment if you don't have to. You know, you, you mentioned the whole like marketing sent out this thing and, you know, whatever. All right, that happens and you, you got to do what you got to do to slug through that in the moment, right? But to the point that you made, going back and having a nice conversations with our friends in marketing who did not intentionally hurt us and our customers and trying to figure out how we can be partnered with them for the future. Hey, can we understand your calendar of things that you're going to send out to whom and when? Can we influence some of it? If you're going to send an email out to 300,000 people, all right, I get that you need to do that for ABC reason. Could we chunk that out a little bit though? Could we do that over the course of five days into smaller sends because that's going to help us? And like, can we help test to make sure that the promotion works and you know, we, we can't influence these things. Um, again, I promise the marketing team is not purposely blowing up your day. Like that is actually blowing up on their side as well, right? They're hearing from their bosses and from your bosses or whatever, like, what the heck are we doing? We don't, we don't know what we're doing. So, but building those bridges, building those relationships, understanding their needs and vice versa. I think, you know, part of that victim mindset also is it can become about us all the time. And like, what's going to happen if you send an email to 300,000 uh, people? Like, what if we flip that for a moment and we ask, what is the purpose? Like, what, what are the goals that you need to achieve? They're probably helping to drive the revenue of the organization or retention of their customers. You know, I think the more we can understand what we're all trying to accomplish and then work together in kind of these win-win um, type scenarios, it, it, may, it makes us all better. Um, but so, yeah, like I said, I mean, having those plans, like we, the last couple of places I've worked, we've had a person or two that is the communication person. Um, so we know, get them all the information, even if it's just verbally, like I'm just going to, you know, dump everything that's in my mind to you and you're going to go and make sense of it whether it's internal communication or spinning up things for customers, external, et cetera, but having those key people that we all know who's going to do what, you know, my role during a crisis probably shouldn't be answering the phone or explaining the policy to the team members. Like I need to be working with the other stakeholders, resolving technical issues, whatever. But so I think if we all get super clear on our roles and then Honestly, sometimes in the midst of some of these crises, there's a lot of clarity. I need to be focused on this one thing. Everything else that's not important and isn't urgent just kind of falls to the side. Um, but so those, those are the sorts of things I think is like having plans in place to the extent that you can, understanding who's going to do what when this stuff pops up, 
and then making sure that you're developing the relationships with the people that have the potential to influence your world and helping them understand your needs and you understanding their needs. Often you can bring ideas that they never would have thought of that will help their stuff work better and result in less um, crisis or whatever you want to call it in your, in your area. No, it's really good stuff, man. Um, and I, I think there's this, uh, as you said, hope that you can figure out who's responsible for what before the crisis hits, right? Yep. But sometimes you have a new type of crisis. Yeah. And the way that you exhibit a positive, direct approach to addressing that crisis makes it possible to have kind of like an after action report. You know, where, where you sit down and you say, let's get together and talk about what just happened and let's let's make sure that we learn from this. Let's make sure that the next time this type of crisis happens, or even if it's not exactly the same type of crisis, what can we learn from this? How can we benefit as an organization and as individuals within that organization? And sometimes it's not even your job to figure out what went wrong as a leader. It's your job to create a space for the team to collaborate and yeah. to make it safe for other people, maybe not even in your department, um, kind of like what Mark said in the chat, um, to be able to sit around the table together and have a helpful, productive conversation that is not about tearing people down or assigning blame. And, yep. and the other thing I would say too, like as a leader, if you're providing that space for you to be the one to take responsibility for any part of the crisis that is yours, creates that sense of accountability that comes from within rather than accountability that has to be applied from the outside. And that inspires others to do the same, right? Yep. And, and somebody who says, hey, I or we or my team, we could have done this better. And this is a way that we feel like we can contribute in the future to prohibiting these kinds of things from happening or right. to minimize the depth of the crisis, et cetera. And hopefully other leaders in the organization are doing the same thing. And, and, and you can create a space where that kind of collaboration and accountability is natural and yep. everybody's encouraged about working together, but that culture often doesn't get built in a crisis. Yep. Right. And we right. sit back and take shots at each other because we don't want to be the ones to blame. Right. And honestly, that often comes from the C-suite where if growing isn't the most important thing, if appearing to have never needed to grow is the most important thing culturally in the company, then you're going to not see this kind of thing like what we're talking about, right? So. I personally believe in never trying to assign blame to others. And I think just saying that out loud, right? Just letting people know, I don't care who made a mistake, but I do want to understand the mistake so we don't make it in the future. So like, you know, being very just, actually focused and focused about like building for the future, but also owning up to my own mistakes. So it's like, I'm not going to blame others, but I am going to transparently blame myself if I've screwed up just kind of that humility of, of owning up and saying, and, and then, but what happens when you do that too is, and you start to build that culture you're talking about is, Hey, it doesn't matter if you screwed up, Jeremy, like let's make sure it doesn't happen again, but you do, you start to kind of build that, um, culture of accountability, but accountability without some of the negative stuff that can come along with assigning blame. Yeah, it's so true. I, I coach a bunch of 12 year old boys in soccer. And one of the things that we talk about all the time 
the other coach and I is we win as a team, we lose as a team. When one of our teammates make a mistake, we all make a mistake. And what we find is by doing that, these 12-year-old boys start saying, hey, I made a mistake because it's safe for them to do that, right? And we grow together. We push each other in good ways. And I think, unfortunately, there's been a whole lot of focus in our society on acting like we don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the end of the day, that's just not real. Like that's not any of us, right? We, you know, so so if we're putting on a facade on a large scale that we all know is false, uh, yeah. that's not going to get us anywhere good. So I think that reality of, hey, with, even if it's not a mistake, even if it's, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. This mm-hmm. is something I know I can do better. And having a positive almost drive to constantly push yourself and to push together as a team is so critical. And that's, that's where I want to go next, actually, um, because uh, one of the things in your initial post, and by the way, if, if, if you're wondering where all this originated from, Jeremy has a series of posts that he's doing, and we've kind of started the series that he, he's talking about with the initial posts and was kind of the impetus for today's session. So go check that out on LinkedIn. But there's this language shift that kind of can symbol uh, be a symbol of and help with the mindset shift. And that is rather than seeing challenges as just a problem, seeing challenges as opportunities. So I, I think sometimes we hear that and we go, oh my gosh, this is just another poster in the guidance counselor's office, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's just spin. It, it's just cheese and spin and just queue up the Friday afternoon pizza party and, you know, like whatever. And so, but I think. I think the dynamic that I want to zero in on here, because it's kind of embedded in all of what we're saying, when things get overwhelming, how can we actually view, and I mean view, these things as opportunities, these situations as opportunities for growth, both internally as leaders and then externally out to the team as a as a way of pivoting that and growing that? So I think a, a big piece of it again, when you're in the midst of the thing that has gone wrong or whatever, right? Um, it's difficult in that moment. I'm going to suggest you don't go out to your team and say, hey guys, this is a great opportunity. When stuff is just, everything's on fire. Like that's not the moment. The moment is rather than just constantly firefighting and moving on to the next thing, you are debriefing, you are learning, you're understanding the cause, and then you are coming back around. Um, you know, if you think about the type of business you're in, if you work for an airline, for example, flights are going to be delayed, flights are going to be canceled, bags are going to be lost. Like there are things that are going to happen, no matter how great you are, you might be the best airline in the world, and that stuff is going to happen. And so it's looking at that and saying, all right, how can we prevent them to the extent possible, but improve them when they do happen. How do we improve? And personally, I'm always thinking about not like not only the customer, but my team as well. It's like one A and one B, right? I got to be thinking about both of them. When things go really wrong, I want it to be as painless as possible for the customer and for my team. But showing your team that you're constantly going to go back, you're going to follow up with them. You're going to be transparent about what happened. You're going to follow through on what needs to be followed through for the future. Um, but I mean, we can see, right? we've probably all worked in places where none of that happens. What happens is we get through the situation at hand, we put out the fire and we move on. 
We don't learn from it. We don't build anything so that we can uh, respond better in the future. Um, we don't we don't go out to the team and acknowledge that sucked and I'm sorry it happened. And here's what you know. But just th- those are the sorts of things that I think about um, to truly turn those those things into opportunities. Again, things are going to go wrong, and they're going to go with your go wrong with your competition as well. But if you can make it less wrong and less bad, and you know, easy and simple, like I don't necessarily, within reason, care if a mistake is made by a company I'm doing business with, as long as it does it, like as long as they own the problem and they don't make it my problem to solve and they make it simple and whatever, I can be really forgiving. So, so I think really learning from those situations and constantly thinking about how to improve for the future. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good stuff. It, we've, we've got a lot of language being used in the chat that I want to pull out for a minute for us to talk about. And that is talking about psychological safety you know, Sherry is in the chat. Sherry uh, is our resident expert on the topic. We've actually had a couple of shows that uh, were really centered on this. And, and she's right in connecting the dots between sort of the, the safe to fail environment and the psychological safety uh, that is is talked about in some wonderful resources. And, and Sherry's really well trained. So um, if anybody's interested in learning more about psychological safety, I would definitely recommend connecting with Sherry. But, you know, when we think, uh, we think about this question, because Dan brings out a good question. I'm just going to read Dan's question. Um, you know, how do we create an environment that's safe to fail? He said, I feel like it starts with leadership, but what's the key to creating that space? So maybe you can field that question for us, Jeremy. Yeah. I think it's really easy to just say, like, it's okay to make mistakes. And that's this very vague, nebulous Thing that sounds really good. It's important, I think, to be super clear, though, there are certain mistakes that can never be made. I would think that we can agree, and I'll give you an example. Like, now you might say, like, is this a mistake or whatever? You could never steal a customer's credit card information. That could just never happen. We can never, like, there are things that should never happen. If you are in um, healthcare or banking or just anything where there's sensitive information, you can never release the information of your customers to someone that doesn't have the right to have. And where I'm going with this is if you can establish, there's probably only a few things that can never happen. If you can establish the things that can never happen and be super clear and upfront about that, but then create that space where other things like, "Ah, you can click on the wrong button in the system that happens. Oh, you didn't save that thing. That sucks. Like, all right, let's fix it. as long as you don't ever make the mistakes that you can't ever make, right? as long as you know what those are, then acknowledge that mistakes will happen as long as it aren't these three things. And then being true to that. So what does that look like? You can't come and, you know, become, be heavy handed with discipline. There, there is a thread to needle here though, for sure. You know, you think about like quality programs and CX programs and the experience of customers, like, you, you wish for mistakes to not happen that impact the customer, but we have to acknowledge that they, they will. And so how, you know, so you have to thread that needle where you can tell people it's okay, here are the safety nets, there are safety nets. Most of the time there's a safety net, so something can't go too far off the rails. But I think it's really important to establish the few things that somebody can never make a mistake on. So then they are very conscious of that. And if a mistake happens, at least it's probably something that we can smooth over fairly easily. 
And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, there have to be very, very clear boundaries in in any business, but in some businesses, especially with, as you said, things that can't happen, anything that doesn't fall into one of those categories, though, um, where we all make mistakes that are maybe even very serious or have negative business yep. implications, but they're not one of those things that just can't happen. There has to be uh, a visible practice of how those are handled and that essentially builds the culture. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. But, but yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the other thing is in a lot of um, environments, mistakes are made because of what leadership is or is not doing. So it's a bad process. Nothing's written down. They're expected to just remember everything and execute on it perfectly the first time around. Like when I was talking about those safety nets, like if you build the process well, if you have the information available to them, if you have the way for them to get help when they don't know what to do, there are ways that you can reduce um, the likelihood of critical errors. But again, being okay, like I'll watch sometimes, you know, mistakes that cost thousands of dollars. And, you know, what's interesting is I don't need to say anything. The person that made that mistake is probably way more worried about a $1,500 mistake than I am. Right. And then they're like, I can't believe $1,500 is so much money. And I'm like, eh, whatever. Like it's a rounding error. It's not that big of a deal. But if you give them the, the space to like not have to be scared then they can admit and then ideally you let them be part of fixing it as well. You know, they're going to learn more. They're going to take that ownership, that sort of thing. So true. And then there's of course this balance of, okay, we know we need to move forward and address this issue that has come up. We know we're going to have to have some after action report type, you know, root cause analysis if it's serious enough, right? If it's new, especially, um, taking that positive engagement approach to uh, to dealing with that, that sets the tone for how future issues will be viewed as they're uh, unfolding. Yep. You know, so if we have a chicken little moment as a leader where we're literally just falling apart and saying the sky is falling and this is marketing's fault, I keep picking on marketing today. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I think I think I was reading a marketing book earlier. I don't know what happened, sure. um, but uh, it's not always marketing's fault. Let's just get right. that out there. Um, for all you marketing people. Uh, but, but, you know, it's somebody else's fault. It's another department's fault. It's, you know, um, we never get treated right, you know, whatever, whatever. And I think that's one of the dynamics that's especially relevant for contact center leaders, because as you said, the hard stuff rolls downhill, right? Like, and so when your job is literally to be the connecting point between the customer and the business, yeah, everything that negatively impacts the customer is going to impact you. Uh, and so no matter where the, the issue originated in the business, uh, if it impacts the customer, you know, the contact center is going to be a place where it's going to end up uh, manifesting. And the people who work in the contact center are going to be the ones who need to figure out how to be the hero and not the victim. And so, um, Jeremy, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. You know, I think there's a lot of application for this beyond the contact center. But as we talked about it's especially relevant in the contact center because of all of these things that we've, we've kind of uh, sewn together here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be continuing to monitor this conversation and I hope everybody will plug into it. 
we're going to have an opportunity after this, uh, when we end the session, to jump into the chat um, in the discussion room that you saw on your way in. And we'd love for you to join us there um, just for a few minutes to, to maybe take this conversation further. I do want to just make a quick admin announcement that next week we will be doing this at a different time. We'll be doing it live from a Reuters contact center event in New York City. And so we'll be doing it early, partially to try to catch the UK and European audience that will be following that show. Um, but also uh, just be aware that that time change is coming the same week that our time change is coming here in the States. Uh, so you just figure it's a weird week for times, CXQA Live, time in general. It'll make sense at some point. Uh, but we'll announce the time in the next couple of days. So uh, we're going to jump out of this part of the session and go to the discussion table. But Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us and leading our conversation today. Yeah, always a pleasure. All right. You guys go make your Tuesday amazing wherever you are. Bye now. To listen to a recording of this and other episodes, visit vistio.io forward slash podcasts. And to join our show live each week, go to vistio.io forward slash CX live.